Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 186. I don't know about any kind of real famous guys except for my dad, and his quote that always sticks in my mind was, stand on the gas. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I am so excited to introduce a very special guest, Danny Thompson. Danny, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am always ready for a fun ride, especially if it's a fast ride. I know you are, and this is one fast guy. Danny Thompson comes from a family whose name is synonymous with speed. His father, Mickey Thompson, is the famed driver and innovator of the Challenger, a man who broke land speed records at the Bonneville Salt Flats. Step by step, Danny Thompson has maintained and expanded his family's celebration in the history of motorsports. Danny raced motocross, winning his first 18 races. He then moved on to Formula Atlantic Series, Super V's, and CRA Sprint Car Racing. He won opening night of the Mickey Thompson Off-Road Grand Prix and drove for Chevrolet as a factory driver. He served as the president of Mickey Thompson Entertainment Group and later as a consultant to entertainment, promotional, and safety firms. So Danny, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share some more about your history, your career, your interest, and of course, your passion for really, really fast automobiles. Sure, Mark. Thanks. Um, I started racing when I was nine years old, started racing quarter midgets and was fortunate to win a championship at nine and at 10. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so it started, started off good. And then uh, right at the end of my quarter midget career, uh, one of the guys that was racing in a race that I was in got upside down and broke his leg. And this is during the Lions Drag Strip days, and my dad was the manager of Lions Drag Strip. And somebody went and told my dad that I got upside down and broke my back. Oh, my oh. dad came running over and uh, from the other side, from the drag strip side, over to where the quarter midget track was, and uh, I won the race. So I was standing there with a little trophy girl, and he all smiles and everything. And my dad was so upset, and he took and sold my car that night and forbid me to ever race again. Oh, my gosh. That's it. You're done. So from, from 10 on, I got, I was at the races all the time and I went all the time with my dad and I, you know, I was little, so, you know, I waxed the cars and, and did whatever kind of uh, task that, that I could do in those ways, but I wasn't allowed to race. And finally, I think 
whatever, 18, 17 or 18 years old when I moved out of the house and I moved, I went skiing and I went skiing for the weekend and didn't come home for five years. Mm-hmm. During that time, I started racing motorcycles. And, and once again, I was fortunate to, to do uh, fairly well. And somehow I got, you know, the back, back pages of uh, Cycle News Magazine, not, not anywhere up front where all the fast guys were, but in the back. And my dad found out about it. And uh, he called me one day. I was living in Mammoth. And he said, uh, what have you been doing? I said, oh, I've been working my tail off. Mm-hmm. He said, what else you been doing? Uh, we're working my tail off. He goes, been racing any motorcycles? Mm-hmm. I says, oh, I've been had. So yep. anyway, he came up and watched me race and, uh, and I'd won, I won that weekend. And anyway, he kind of said, well, I'm not going to let you race, but I'll let you ride with me. Hmm. That's when the Baja deal, when we were getting involved in the Baja deal. So I was allowed to co-drive with him. So uh, I built all the maps and did all that stuff. Kind of what they do nowadays with GPS, but I did it all by scroll maps and uh, so we ran together for a bunch of years, and he still wouldn't let me drive. <laughs> Finally, he inched out a little bit and a little bit, and, uh, and you know, I got to start driving. But let me preference why he wouldn't let me drive, because yeah. that's important from his side of things. He started racing with 10 guys, you know, in the 40s. And out of those 10 guys, eight of them got killed. Oh. Racing's always dangerous, but in those days, the safety, you know, we certainly don't have the safety features and everything that we have nowadays. And so then in 1964, my dad lost one of his drivers at uh, Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of ruined my dad from, from then on. Um, it, it upset him so much. And, and so he wouldn't let me drive. So, so I had to go out and race on my own, my off-road stuff and uh, my Formula Atlantic and Super V and all that part of my career. Uh, that was all uh, generated by me without any help from my dad at all. And then finally later... I don't know. Um, he helped me out a little bit with uh, the Chevrolet program to get involved with the Chevrolet program when I started stadium racing at uh, Mickey Thompson uh, Off-Road Championship Grand Prix races. Mm-hmm. So there we started to get back on the same line. And then in 1987, he calls me and he said, I want to run the Challenger 2 again. He says, I don't think I'm going to drive it. I would like to have you drive it. Wow. Now, this is a momentous occasion. You know, we're talking about a 400-mile-an-hour car here. Yeah. What put Mickey Thompson on the map was Bonneville. So, you know, that was uh, in late 87, and then uh, we, we agreed to do this, and I was going to do all the work on the car and put a crew together, and I would do all the fabrication because that's what I am as a fabricator besides a driver. And that end, and my dad would handle the front end and do the sponsorship and come up with the money to run the thing. And then uh, about two months after we came to this agreement, when my dad got murdered. Mm-hmm. So then um, I, I put this car, this car was out and, you know, getting ready to work on it. And I put it away and then I didn't, uh, I didn't touch it again for who, well, my dad's been gone now 27 years. Wow. So I didn't, I didn't touch it you know, for, for a lot of years. And now yeah. we've taken it back out of the archives. We have a 47 year old car. Now I've been working on this car for five years, updating it, remodeling it. The basic shape is the same. And this is now what I live for seven days wow. a week, 15 hours a day. I'm down here pounding on this car because I want to now go out and finish my dad's unfinished business. And the bonus for me is I get to go fast. I get to go really fast. Yeah. Well, just an incredible story. And uh, we'll talk more about this adventure that you're embarking on now and have been embarking on as we move through. But 
I really appreciate you sharing some of the very personal sides to your story there, too. Just amazing. As we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote. And this is a saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. It's a really great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. And Danny, I know you love to drive, so take the wheel. So I don't know about any kind of real famous guys except for my dad. And his quote that always sticks in my mind was, stand on the gas. Mm-hmm. And that's my quote, and that's that's what I live by right now. You know, I mean, I did a lot of different kind of racing, but this standing on the gas deal for Bonneville, that's, so that's, that's my quote, and, and that's what I'm living by right now. Well, it sure sounds like it, and it sounds like your whole life you've been standing on the gas, because you've had this inert need for speed, it seems like, with, with going off and racing all this. So can you tell me how... With what you're doing now, that stand on the gas quote, what it really means to you? Well, I think it it, it not only means just fast. Stand on the gas means whatever you're doing in life. Mm-hmm. Whether you're building something, whether you're building a home, whether you're surfing, whether you're skiing, whatever it is, it stand on the gas means do it to your max, you know? I mean, step it up. You don't, you know, take no prisoners. Yeah, I think I love that great quote. Would you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars? You grew up in a family where you were surrounded by cars, but of course that racing was kind of taken away from you at a young age. But is there a pivotal moment in your life when you really knew you were a car guy? I think the day I popped out of the (laughs) Yeah. uh, I'm just, uh, I'm a car guy. That's what I, cars and motorcycles. Now, motorcycles are, I, I like them equal as much as cars. So it's just, you know, I really like the mechanical things. I I really like building things. I like making things. I, I like looking at a, looking at a raw piece of metal and, and forming that into something that's uh that's a work of art. But mm-hmm. not only does it become a work of art, you have to make that work of art actually perform and work. There's a, there's a lot of people that can do that are really good fabricators and that can make make really, really nice parts, but they have a really hard time making those parts function. Mm-hmm. And then there's some people that can make those parts function like nobody else, but they can't make the parts. So so to me, if you can do a little bit of both, and I'm not saying I can, you know, I maybe cheat on both ends a little bit and fake it. <laughs> you know, those are the things that, that I like. Yeah, sounds like it for sure. Danny, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl under the hood here and ask you to share with me a, a huge challenge or even a great failure that you've faced in your career. This field of racing and doing what, what you're doing now is fraught with challenges. But the most important part of this question has to do with how you overcame that situation and what you learned from it. Well, I, I keep coming back to the Challenger 2, the car that I'm, I'm presently running. It's uh it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. It's starting to be the most fulfilling thing I've ever done in my life. But Bonneville is a little bit different animal. It's not like there's a, there's 20 of these cars out there. And it's not like you can go ask questions of people. And this is a car that my dad built and, and a crew, by the way, a crew of unbelievably talented guys in 1968. A guy named Nye Frank, Tom Joe, Bob Skinner, Pat Foster, uh, Quinn Epperly, uh, Ray Higley. I mean, that it was the who's who of drag racers from the '60s, and a lot of these guys were young. I mean, Job and Nye and those guys—they were—they were young guys. But Tom Job was from the Surfers' Fame, and Nye Nye was my mentor, and um, you know he built this car or built a body on this car and stuff. And you know now I'm running this thing 47 years later, and it is still state of the art. So I mean. 
going back to the thing, this is the most meaningful thing I've ever done, mm -hmm. most mm -hmm. challenging thing I've ever done, and hopefully it's going to be the most successful thing I've ever done. You just can't go ask anybody questions because there's, I mean, there's right now, there's probably four of these cars out there and they're all so totally different. You know, so I've, uh, it, it started off to be a real struggle um, when I first started doing it. And, and I didn't think that I had the ability. I guess I didn't have the confidence. I knew I had the ability to, to do it. And I think the one of the things I'm most proud about this project so far is putting together a team we're all everybody's volunteers two guys two guys got paid i wasn't one of them <laughs> to you know for the last three years doing this thing but we we have 24 people that go to bonneville 22 of them are volunteer and wow. i mean we got some crafty crafty people from engine builders i mean we got our basic engine combination from a guy named jerry darian who's a uh, runs a fuel cars and he's been the mentor to uh brandon bernstein all four of the force girls have gone through his uh his academy of, of how to get into drag racing and stuff. And so, I mean, a very talented a fuel guy. And then, uh, Richard Catton's one of our engine builders and Craig Johnson's another one of them. And I mean, then we got Terry Hegman, who is a metal man that is just like, you know, you, you say, I want to do this, Terry. And like, I can, I'm a, I'm a fabricator, but when it comes down to metal work, those are, those guys are different, a different breed. They're a real artist. And, you know, we tell Terry, here's a sketch of what I want. And then Tim Gibson, who was our team engineer, will come up with a proper drawing of how he wants the radiuses and everything. And these guys pull this off. So so I think I'm most proud of, you know, uh, Frank Hanrahan, who is our crew chief, and uh, Lou Anderson, who's one of our fabricators. These guys are just, these guys are all magic people. And, and the chemistry that we all have together as a team and a team of volunteers is just, it's magic. Yeah, oh, fantastic. I love it. Danny, let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. And I'd love for you to share a story when you had a real aha moment in your career. One of those times when an idea or a concept you thought really was going to make it. I have a feeling this might have to do with the Challenger, but we'll see. Could you tell us the steps that you took to turn that aha moment into a success? Well, I'm not sure what an aha moment is exactly. Um, everything right now, <laughs> I keep reverting back to the challenger and it's because that's that's my life right now like i said you know seven days a week so i think the whole aha moment i worked on this thing for five years before we ran it car was 46 years old at the time mm -hmm. 47 this year and it was never is this all gonna work well this car my dad ran this car in 1968 he didn't get to go for the record because he got rained out mm -hmm. now we got rained out this year you know so right. same thing happened 46 years apart and I think the aha moment, the first there, let's, let's go to a, a deal where there were several aha moments leading up to this. First one, I think, is when we finally started the engines. Now, this thing's got 500 cubic inch aluminum block drag race engines uh, fuel injected on nitromethane. So the first engine starts. And I mean, that's a pretty big thrill. Then you get the second engine to start. Yeah. And yeah. that's a big thrill. So then. The first time the car went on the ground in 46 years, the first time it was on the ground, that was an aha moment to see this thing come off of a fixture that's three feet off the ground and go onto the actual floor. And all of a sudden, this giant monstrosity of a thing got really small. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're standing there. It only comes up to your knees, yeah. you know, and, and you just step right into it. So 
And then the then the next aha moment was when we ran it the first time at El Mirage, uh, short thing in the desert, up not on not at the Bonneville Salt Flats, and we went out there and made one run at 180 miles an hour. But the clutches worked, the transmissions worked, uh, the rear ends worked, uh, it steered, it did all of those things. And so, like now, this five years, five years of working seven days a week is coming into. This is actually starting to happen. It's actually really taking shape. The team members started coming in, you know, one at a time as, as more people attracted to this deal. So um, then finally the aha moment is on the second full pass at Bonneville this last summer. Second full pass, 419 miles an hour. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Pretty exciting. Wow. Ah, for sure. Yeah, you know, geez, I got goosebumps listening to all this. All those wonderful aha moments, and I think there's a lot more to come, which is really cool. How about proudest moments? You mentioned being so proud of the team that you've surrounded yourself with, and it's so important to surround ourselves with quality people because they really help make us who we are. But is there one moment you can think of that is your proudest that you can share with us? 419 miles an hour. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry I keep rebooting back to this, but <laughs> it's okay. You know, this, this is my passion. This is what I do. This is what I dream about. I mean, I get up every morning at 3.30 in the morning so I can work out and come to work yeah. because yeah. I want to come to work every day. I want to work on this thing. I want to take it to the next step. So so th- like I said earlier in, in this conversation, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Yeah. So when this thing went 419 miles an hour, which was – 27 miles an hour over the existing record in that class, Mm -hmm. that was a proud moment. Is there any way you can share with us what it is like to go that fast on the ground? (laughs) You know, it's a hard thing because you are working so hard doing your job, like that actual thrill of the deal. You're working so hard, you're paying attention. Now, this is a two-engine car, so you have an engine behind me and an engine in front of me. Mm-hmm. And so 2,000 horsepower each. So I'm a 4,000 horsepower sandwich. Mm-hmm. I have to monitor both engines, you know, oil pressure gauges and that stuff on both engines and, you know, pay attention to what's happening. And uh, so it's, uh, I think when it's over and maybe maybe that night when you finally get to bed, you get to start reflecting on what, what just happened. Right. Let me give you a quick example. So on the first full five-mile pass, and by five miles, I mean at Bonneville you have you start at zero mile. You get to you get to race for five miles. They time you between the two and the three, the three and the four, and the four and the five. So you have three separate times in that. At the five mile mark, you have to pull the parachute and your runs over, and you have basically three miles to get stopped. Hmm. So the first full pass was four or three hundred and ninety miles an hour, three ninety seven when we shut down out the back door, and so I pulled the parachute. The, once you get everything started and everything, when that when you pull that parachute and you feel that parachute smack you, right, it's right. like one of the best feelings in the mm-hmm. whole world because you know you're going to stop. Because stopping is as big as an issue as getting going. Yeah. So pull the parachute, felt it. Oh, that feels really good, good. And so I'm still – I'm driving it now. We're going just under 400 miles an hour. And all of a sudden, no vision, mm-hmm. nothing. I cannot see out the windscreen. And what happened is when – we had, when we built the fire system, I, may, I had them, the boys make everything be really tight so I didn't have to pull uh, the lever very far. Right. The deacceleration from the parachutes actually set the fire bottles off. Oh, my gosh. And so the fire bottles went off, and I had no idea what it was. All I know is now I'm going just under 400 miles an hour, and I cannot see. Oh, gosh. 
anything. I can't even see my hands. So I don't know if the wheel's straight or where I'm at. So I, not knowing what it is, I flipped my visor open, you know, so I could see kind of natural reaction. And the fire bottles are still going off right in my eyes. Uh. So I flipped the visor back down and I just tried to stay calm and uh, waited and waited and waited. And, I mean, the parachute was out, so I knew I was going to stop. But I didn't know if I was going off the end of the track, because that's the first time I'd, I'd gone that fast. And finally I decided, well, I must be at the eight mile mark. I better turn left. And anyway, turned left and uh, got off the side of the track and uh, escaped that one. So, wow. Oh, geez. No vision at those kind of speeds, you know? And uh, so somebody was helping me that day. That's for sure. Yeah, I think so. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Well, holy cow. Huh? Again, more goosebumps. I knew this was going to be a great interview. Let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special car? And if you could share a memory that you had with that vehicle with us. Wow. It's, it's um, you know, growing up around cars and being around race cars my whole life, it's kind of like, I guess cars aren't, I love cars and I love all sorts of cars from hot rods to sports cars, from Ferraris to, I'm a big, big Volkswagen fan. I love Volkswagens. So I don't know. It's, it's kind of a hard, kind of a hard question. Maybe I can rephrase it this way, since you did some racing. What was your first really special race car? Ah. One that really stands out in your mind is, oh my gosh, this thing is awesome. Well, my first off-road car was probably that, and I I think it was so special because uh, my dad wouldn't let me build it at the shop, so I had no tools. I lived in a, uh, a little apartment with a one-car garage, and I started building it in there, and I was really struggling because uh, basically all I had was a grinder and a toolbox. And I'm trying to fabricate this car together. And uh, I was working for my dad at the time as a fabricator. And Nye Frank, who was my mentor that I mentioned earlier, he invited me into his shop or the shop that he worked in, which consisted of Nye Frank, Tom Job, and Quinn Epperly. Wow. Absolute icons in, in the Southern California race business. Quinn Epperly, I mean, he built Indy cars in the 30s and 40s. And, you know, so he was just one of those guys. Tom, Tom Job is, is a genius and uh and making things and, and a genius genius and then nye of course was just unbelievable i got to go into their shop so i worked uh then i quit working for my dad because i was so mad that he wouldn't let me work on my car <laughs> there so uh i went to work for danny and gaius on the interscope oh, oh. Wow. team so uh i worked both uh the porsche deal yeah all the all the imsa races and i did the indycar races i was the one well mike donovan and i we were floaters that we did we did all the basically all the races. So I did all the IndyCar races and all the sports car races. I mean, between Le Mans and uh, and Indianapolis and going to uh, Japan to race and all that kind of stuff. Plus, built this car, which was um, I got off the subject again, but <laughs> but that car was my first car that was mine. Yeah, I got to sit in the Interscope cars and uh, that kind of stuff, and those were always aha moments. But I didn't get to drive them. Yeah. So yeah. I think my my first off road car, and it was a Funko. Uh, Gil George car uh, chassis, and then we built it at Knife Franklin shop. So it was uh, that was pretty special, you know, machine and parts for my own car. Yeah, well, not to mention all the people that you got to be around again. You, you talk about just incredible, incredible history here. How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle that you've owned that you've let go that you really wish you could have back in your garage? Yeah, there definitely is. I had a 1963 Corvette Stingray. Ooh. And I think I traded it in for a Chevrolet pickup. Uh-oh. <laughs> at, at a lot. And, uh, yeah, 
that would be pretty nice. I think I think the trade-in value for it was like twenty five hundred dollars or something at the time. Yeah, yeah. That thing probably now. Um, well, actually, that the car they say that is sold at Meekum Auction about two weeks ago. You know, it's. Uh, I had a guest on a few days ago, Ian James, a racer, and his dad was a racer as well, like your father. And they had a Jaguar XKE. And I asked him the question about seller's remorse, and he said, you know, the things you'll do for racing, my dad sold this delicious XKE for a Rambler so he could tow the trailer that we put our race car on. So it sounds like you did kind of the same thing. Yeah, same thing. Yeah. Yeah, the things we do for racing. Now, I don't think I even need to ask you this next question, but I will because I already know and you've shared it with us. So we're being redundant here, but is your current project you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? I know it's ridiculous. I'll keep going back to that every chance you yeah. you can make. You know, it's just it's uh, the coolest thing I've ever done. You know, it I mean, is. I'm sitting here looking at it. Right, I'm sitting absolutely dead behind it right now because my uh, my office is in the machine shop part of the shop. Uh-huh. I want to be in the shop part all the time. But th- I mean, this thing's only 34 inches wide, 26 inches tall in the front, and uh, 32 feet long. Two engines, four wheel drive. 4,000 horsepower, and we can make more. All we got to do is put more nitro in it. Mm. You know, so, yeah, there you go. That's that's it. I'm a, I look at it every day. I say good morning to it every morning when I get here. And good night when you leave. <laughs> wow. It is it is amazing vehicle, and we'll post a picture of that vehicle up on the website. And, of course, we're going to give a link to your website on your show notes page, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But here's a real introspective question for you, Danny. I'm really interested how you're going to answer this one. If Danny Thompson was a car... What kind of car would he be and why? Streamliner, so he could go really fast. <laughs> no question. No question. You're about, you're about going fast. Yeah, I don't want to sound boring, but, you know, when this is it. I mean, this is what I do. This is my passion. Yep. This is what I think about all the time. I kind of I got that. Yeah, just a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> well, Danny, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal or the pedal down, as you say, here's a little something for the Cars Yeah listeners. Do you love vintage cars? Then go to CarsYeah.com and get a free copy of the fantastic Filler Up book. It's a full-color ebook filled with fuel filler fun with over 60 color photographs of vintage cars plus inspirational quotes from some of the most famous automotive enthusiasts of all time. Simply go to carsyad.com and click on the free book button on the homepage. Download your free filler-up book today at Cars Yeah. All right, Danny, we're back and we're entering the last lap. And this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some really quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready to go? Yes, sir. I think you're always ready to go. (laughs) Now, you've been around some amazing people, so this is going to be an interesting one. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? You know, I think be passionate. Love what you do. I mean, you, you can't get into anything and be 100% unless you love it. Yep, great answer. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? Wow. Well, I don't know. I, I train a lot. I guess that would be it. I mean, I train a lot, so I think it keeps me, keeps me sharp. I mean, I get up at 3.30 in the morning so I can train every day. Yeah. And I'm old. I'm old, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Well, good for you. You know, it's it's about being passionate and, and keeping sharp and focused. You keep sharp and focused. It's it's going to lead the right direction. Absolutely. Great advice. How about resources? There are so many out there nowadays, but is there one in particular that you think the the Cars Out listeners should pay attention to? Maybe a website or a blog? 
Yeah, everybody should donate to my cause. Okay. Well, we're you know, sponsorship is the absolute hardest part of motorsports, bar none. Yep. You know, I mean, and that's what I'm really struggling with right now. I got a car that goes faster than the that is over the existing record one way. You gotta do it twice. And yep. I only yep. did it once. But trying to get funding for this thing. I have the bitchinous project in the entire country, in my opinion. But I can't get sponsorship for it. Yeah. Well, hopefully some listening to the Cars Dash show out there will uh, give you a call or touch base with you. And, and we'll put your website and how they can contact you uh, uh, up at the end of the show here. But how about books? Is there a book that you've read in the past that you think our listeners should crack open and set their eyes to? Mickey Thompson, The Fast Life by Eric Arneson. There you go. Just finished it two years ago, three years ago now. Eric, uh, well, I guess he works for Fox now, but he's a he's an excellent writer, and he penned this he penned this work really really well. I think he did it in six months, and in six months we had, I think, a hundred and eighty emails and equal amount of phone calls every day, and he kind of resparked, you know, resparked what. I saw or I knew what I grew up with because it was never a big deal. But when we started going over this whole book and it's the second Mickey Thompson book. So um, Griff Borgeson wrote the first one in the 60s and it only went to 64. So this one goes on through death. So um, it's a it's a. I mean, I'm being biased here, but it's a great read. Awesome. And I'll remind our listeners, you can find links to all these great resources at com slash Danny Thompson. All right, Danny, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy for some people. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, and let's remove the Challenger because I know <laughs> I want to hear something different. Because So you already have the Challenger. You can keep that one, okay? I'm not going to make you get rid of it like I do everybody else that I have on the show. But money's no object. I'm going to buy you whatever you'd like today. What would that one vehicle be? And more importantly, why would you choose that car or motorcycle? I mean, I love motorcycles, but I would have to have like 20 or 30 different kinds. I don't know if I could, I don't know if I have an answer for that, actually. I mean, I told you earlier, I really love Volkswagens. Yeah, well, let's try to narrow it down a little bit here because I'm not going to let you get away without an answer. I've, I've gotten up to 185 interviews with, without letting anybody sneak off without answering this question. So I'm going to have to, to force you a little bit on this one. But if you let's say you narrow it down to Volkswagens. Is there one in particular that you've seen or? that you had or you know, that just really tugs on your heart? Okay, a 53 split window, but I want to put like a three liter, <laughs> a three liter Porsche type motor in it. Nice. Yeah. So well, I, I like Volkswagens a lot, but I also like horsepower. So, so uh, yeah, let's go with it. Let's go with a 53 split window Volkswagen. But we'll put like a three liter. Would that be a, a nat- naturally aspirated or maybe a 3.3 turbo? Yeah, we could put a turbo on it. Then, of course, you got to put a transmission and everything else to, to do it. But I you think know, you could do that. Volkswagens are nice because you can drive them sideways. <laughs> you know, I spent uh, some time in Germany and I was driving through the Black Forest and rolled by this place called the Rat House. And I kind of caught it out of the corner of my eye and went, whoa, whoa. We turned around and went back. And it was a guy that takes Volkswagen Beetles and puts Porsche turbo engines. Uh, this was back in the 90s. So he was probably putting uh, 80s or 70s turbo engines in those cars. But he would take the back seats out. And, you know, you had to have room to put that whole motor in there. But uh, he was doing that, and he took us for a ride in his VW van that had a uh, 930 engine in it and cup wheels and suspension. And, yeah, pretty cool. 
Nice. Pretty cool. Okay. I have one with a three liter in it now. So. Oh, you do? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. It's it's in Colorado. It's just sitting up there, but because I don't have time to tinker with it. So. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for answering that question. I appreciate it. Because if I let you get away with that, I get a lot of people calling going, hey, wait a minute. Why did Danny get away with not answering that question? A Volkswagen probably wasn't the, the answer anybody was thinking. So You know, I've heard some pretty interesting answers uh, all across the board from uh, Ferrari GTOs to uh, a Ford Falcon. So, you know, oh, I like those too. Yeah, pretty cool. All right. Well, Danny, you've taken me on a great ride today. I knew this would be fast and furious to quote a movie. A lot of fun. And I really appreciate you sharing your stories and your journey with me and the Cars Yeah listeners. If you could give us one parting piece of advice before you drive off across the Bonneville Salt Flats, breaking that land speed record in that Challenger, what would it be? Send sponsorship money. Send Okay, well, so listen, uh, Cars Yeah listeners out there, you need to help Danny uh, achieve this goal, and uh, he'll put your name or your company on the side of that vehicle. What's the best way for people to contact you and get involved? ThompsonLSR.com. So it's Thompson, and the LSR is for Land Speed Racing. So ThompsonLSR.com. Yeah, and I'll tell everybody, you've got to go check out that website. It is beautiful. Danny's son created that site. It was the first first website he's ever designed, which I think, boy, he did an insane job. It's beautiful. The pictures are absolutely fantastic. An artist by the name of Holly Martin, photographer, shot the images for that. Uh, just, it's, it's worth your time to go there and help Danny achieve these goals. I think it'd be pretty darn special. So listeners, you can find links to everything we've talked about today at carsyad.com slash Danny Thompson. Just put Danny in the search box and his show notes page will pop right up with all the information. Danny, thank you so much for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your passion for what you're doing with us. Boy, it just comes through. It resonates talking with you. I knew this was going to be great fun. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the Bonneville Salt Flats. Thanks, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah! Yeah!